Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hello. Good morning. It is so good to be with you guys. I hope you know what a friend you have in Drake. He is an incredible, incredible pastor, an incredible friend to me, and I just hope you guys know how blessed you are to have him at the helm of this community. Can we just give a a round of applause for Drake? Um, I love the Elkins family, and it is a real pleasure to be with you guys here this morning. So thank you for having me. So as Drake said, we are in this series where we are talking about life underneath the service. And I'm, uh, I'm sure when you uh, came this morning, you were like, I really, I really hope that today is grief. Yes, grief. Let's talk about grief, because that feels really comfortable for me. I, I love that. Let's, let's do that today. So Yay, that is this morning. We are here to get into it. So we're about to get into it. Look, look at your neighbor. Just look to somebody next to you and say, we're about to, we're about to get into it. About to get into it. <laughs> Grief, yes. This is, it's a hard topic to enter into. And so I'm just going to begin with a story for me and my life in the last two weeks in which I realized there was something going on underneath the surface for a while that I actually wasn't, I wasn't totally aware of. And it came up for me. So I hit, a, I hit a big milestone in my life recently. Uh, you know, there's these, these things that happen in our life that we know, hey, this is a big moment. This is a big moment for me. I'm really moving into a new season. And for me, it was I went for the first time two weeks ago to the Comfort Shoe Store. <laughs> Who's been to the Comfort Shoe Store? <laughs> right? Oh, proud. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it proud. I went to the Comfort Shoe Store for the first time two weeks ago. I've been experiencing plantar fasciitis. Anybody else had that before? Yeah, you know. It is uh, pretty painful. I've, you know, I've known other people that have had it before and have been like, oh, that, that's terrible for you. I'm so sorry. But now that it's me, I'm like, this is, this is rough. And I, I want to know, what can I do? What can I do with this? How can I make this better? So, you know, for the first six weeks or so, I just ignored it because that seemed like the best way to go. And I thought, if I just kind of pretend that this isn't happening, it's just going to go away. That'll, that's how I'm going to cope with this, because I'm a mom and I don't really have time to, like, baby my foot. So let's just keep walking around SeaWorld for three hours and just pretend like it doesn't, you know, like it doesn't hurt. Uh, but then my husband, who's a physician and also a very gentle and kind man, he looked at me one morning and he said, you know, plantar fasciitis doesn't just go away. It's not like a sprained ankle. It doesn't doesn't just sort of resolve. You have to kind of, you have to kind of figure out what's going on and what you need. I was like, okay, all right. So then that is what brought me to the comfort shoe store. I said, all right, well, I'll take, I'll take one little step. I'm going to go to the comfort shoe store. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to buy some shoes and it's going to fix my problem, right? I'm going to get some shoes and then we'll leave and I'm going to feel good. It's going to be great. So I walk into the comfort shoe store and immediately I am extremely uncomfortable. Because I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't even know what exactly kind of shoe I need. 
I'm nervous to even talk to somebody here. I don't know any of these people. So I just kind of go and I sit down and just kind of take a seat. And a very kind woman comes up to me and she says, you know, how can I help you? I said, well, I'm, I think I have plantar fasciitis and I think I need some new shoes. Like I, I hear I need some arch support or something like that. So can you help me find something with some, some support? She's like, sure, no problem. So I tell her my size. You know, we say, how about this, this kind of shoe? All right, so she comes back with like 10 boxes and I'm sitting here and I got shoes all around me. And I also have my one-year-old with me who's here today and she's very cute, but she's like ripping open the boxes and I can't find like which shoe goes with, <laughs> with each shoe. And I'm like, okay, let's just try to get these on. And I'm there for like 20 minutes, just trying on a bunch of shoes. And I'm starting to feel a little frustrated. I'm starting to notice that there's something going on under the surface. But again, it's like, whatever, okay, I'm just, I'm just here to get some shoes. And the lady comes back and she <laughs> says to me, so how's it going? Do any of these work for you? And I just kind of stopped for a moment and I looked this beautiful human in the eyes and I said, none, none of these shoes work for me. I, and I started to just feel so flooded in this moment and overcome with emotion. As I looked her, and, and her eyes are starting to kind of squint as she looks at me, and I looked at her and I said, I don't know what to do because I can't walk without pain right now. And this beautiful human, she looked back at me. She didn't say anything. And she just nodded. And I looked around the room, and I was surrounded by other people who were in the same situation. They didn't know what to do with the pain that they were experiencing. And so here we all were in a shoe store, hoping that something might offer us some relief. And in that moment, I realized that what I was feeling was grief about a loss that I hadn't even named, which was the loss of the certainty that I could wake up in the morning, jump out of bed, put my feet on the ground, and just feel, feel good and just feel ready to go. And I, I don't know, maybe those days will come back. Maybe they won't. That's the funny thing about grief sometimes. We don't always know if what we lost is gone forever, if something new is to come, or if we're just in this messy in-between for a while. We're not always sure. But that morning, I was experiencing grief with an unawareness that that was what was going on. And I made a decision that I was gonna go somewhere with that grief to try to fix it. But I found that what I actually needed was someone to look at me and compassionately witness what I was experiencing and give me a knowing nod of, yeah, I know. We all know. That's why we're here. So today, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about where do we go with our grief? 
And I want to begin with just kind of a simple definition of grief. That grief is the natural response to losses in life. We sometimes treat grief as though it's unnatural, as though it's unnatural to be sad about loss, as though it's something that needs to be pushed down or kept from being present. But grief is a natural response to loss. And grief involves feelings, sensations, cognitions, which is, you know, just a fancy word for like thoughts, and behaviors as we cope with loss. So often we're connected to this idea of grief as a feeling, right? We kind of think about, well, grief is, is a feeling, but it also has these other things, sensations. It can be sensations in our body, right? Often these can be things like a tightness in our stomach, a collapsing of our shoulders, of our chest, um, maybe like, you know, just discomfort or even kind of like a radiating kind of unease within your body or just an energy that almost feels like it's cooped up inside your body and it needs to be released. Those can all be sensations of grief. Cognitions, this can go a lot of different ways. Sometimes it will be a racing mind as we try to, like I was that morning, trying to get to the shoe store, right? It's like, I'm gonna get to the shoe store. I'm gonna get me some shoes and this is gonna take care of the problem. These are my thoughts, shoe store, that's gonna do it. Or it can be cognitions that start to feel as though we're kind of shutting down. Thoughts like, maybe I'll never make a friend again. Or, will I ever not feel lonely? It can be thoughts that kind of ramp up and get us stirred up into kind of anxious places. Or it can be thoughts that kind of keep us in this place of feeling really stuck and disempowered. And then finally, behaviors as we cope with loss, right? So again, behaviors that bring us out into action and compel us to do things, even if we feel powerless, we want to take action. Or it can be behaviors of, I'm just, I'm just gonna stay at home. I'm not gonna engage that community anymore. I'm gonna avoid that. You know, behaviors that take us to this place of kind of avoidance and, and staying away from things. But grief is, at its heart, a very natural and understandable response to loss. And grief is kind of, it's kind of one of those things, like I experienced at the shoe store, where as we start to push down this very natural response, it almost seems to come up more and more without our control. Right, have you ever, um, if you remember being like 10 years old, I have a 10 year old right now, so this is very, this is very fresh, I can like really see this. You got a beach ball, and you're like, you're like at the lake, and you have a beach ball, and you're like, I'm gonna try to sit on the beach ball under the water. Have you ever tried to do that? It's like a kid or seen a kid do that. You kind of shimmy it, you try to like get on top of it, and you try to get this big inflated thing under the surface. Keep it under the surface, let's keep it down. But what, what happens the more you labor to kind of push that beach ball down, down, under the surface, keep it down under the surface, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on top of this. It just shoots out sideways, right? There's, there's no keeping that down. It will come out, and it will come out in a direction that you don't anticipate and you can't control. 
And so the invitation for us is when we start to notice some of these feelings or sensations, thoughts or behaviors, like, hey, I'm, get, I'm getting really anxious here about something. I'm constantly thinking about this. Why might that be? What might I be trying to push and keep down? And is this kind of coming out? Is this coming out sideways? So let's talk next about a couple different types of loss. Because sometimes we think about grief is only connected to big, what I might call catastrophic losses. So things like the loss of a family member or, um, you know, the, the loss of a child or something like that. Catastrophic losses are sudden, usually unexpected and completely life altering. And of course, these kinds of losses can take a lot of time to grieve. And we often know that there's some work to be done there, right? We might be like, okay, this is a huge loss in my life. I can recognize that. But there are other forms of losses, many other forms of losses, including ambiguous loss, such as singleness or infertility, where something that you are hoping for, that you have so much desire around, is uncertain. Will I ever get married? I, I want to have a child. Is, is that for me? I feel this desire around that. Why hasn't it happened? Ambiguous loss is a season of sitting with those questions unanswered. Secondary loss. Um, you know, things that happen in our lifestyle or our relationships um, after a loss, right? So if you lose a family member, especially maybe a spouse or someone who you have been living life with, there's all kinds of other losses, right? We, we all know this. Perhaps there's a, you know, a time you drive by somewhere you used to go with someone, right? And you feel that little tinge, that little twing of like, oh, of sadness and grief around the loss of that secondary experience. Identity loss, things such as like unemployment, where this event brings up these questions inside of us, like, am I competent? I've lost a sense of competency, or is my financial situation secure? I'm not certain anymore. Or bullying as a child. We all have, we can all think of these experiences as a child, right, where someone was unkind to us and really questioned our sense of identity as someone who was loved and secure and set within a community. We can have health losses, such as disability, injury, relational losses, breakups, or even ruptures of trust and safety, right? We can have these, what we sometimes don't even, aren't able to even name as micro losses, even within a marriage, right? You know, you, you come home and your spouse is on their cell phone and you're feeling this, I'm feeling this loss of, intimacy between us. You know, we've been married 10 years now, and we used to come in the door and greet each other with this big hug, and now it's like, hey, and there's a loss. There's a loss of something there. And then finally, transitions. Moving to a new city or moving into a new life stage or getting a new job, your children moving out of the house. All these things bring up loss because something that used to be, even if it you know, isn't necessarily that the new season is one you're not looking forward to, but something that used to be no longer is. 
and you can't go back. There's no going back to a former season of life. It's, it's, it's past. And these forms of losses can bring up different forms of grief as we try to process what's going on inside of us. So we can experience anticipatory grief, which is where we know it's coming and we're almost, our body is, we're getting ready for the loss, right? When it's, uh, you know, a loss that is perhaps a transition that you can anticipate, you can feel this coming, right? So something like, okay, I know that I'm gonna be moving in six months. And you start to notice, I'm starting to pull back from some relationships, or I'm no longer going to, you know, I'm no longer going to that thing because I just feel uh, sad that I'm not going to be seeing those people anymore. So you might be experiencing anticipatory grief or delayed grief, grief that comes up months or years after something has happened. Perhaps something that's termed, the word is distorted grief, but I really think that this could, we could think about this a little differently. So this might be something that is perceived as extreme reaction to a loss but I think the question with distorted grief is what, what other loss is connected to that loss, right? Often there's not just something under the surface, there might be many things under the surface, right? So if you ever notice yourself, uh, you know, um, feeling this, like, why am I having such a big reaction to this? Or like, why am I so sad about this one thing? If you start to notice like a big reaction of grief, I, I wonder, could there be other things that are getting connected? Is this almost like a chain of loss? Such as with cumulative grief, where you're experiencing a second loss before you even have a chance to grieve the first. Now this, for many of us, this was our experience during the pandemic. I think we all went through this together. We would lose the ability to gather. And then the next week, we're losing the ability to feel safe. And then the next week, we're losing the ability to even set plans a year later. And then the next week, we're learning that someone we love is in the hospital. And how does your body and your mind even catch up to that form of grief? I think most of us, I might even say all of us, are probably still working through the grief of the last three, four years. And then we have persistent or chronic grief that can be long-lasting, can feel difficult to kind of bring, you, you might desire some kind of feeling of relief from that season of grief, and yet it just seems like it continues on. And then finally, absent or hidden grief, where, um, and often we can observe this in other people, right? We might know they've experienced a really profound loss, but I, I don't know if I see how is this impacting them? Or what is this life uh, like for them now? And so hidden and absent grief is also uh, is such a common form of moving through grief. And it's not wrong. It just means we're still trying to find how do we do this? How do we ex fully experience the grief that we're moving through? And so with, with these ideas around types of losses and forms of grief, and my, with my story to begin, our question today is, where do we go? Because as I shared, often we'll go towards action or withdrawal, but we do have some other options too. There are 
other places that we can perhaps go. In kind of, uh, you know, an academic approach to grief, we might talk about that we could go into the stages of grief and we can start to move through the stages of grief. And this is kind of a familiar model. A lot of people are aware of and kind of have heard this idea of stages of grief. Different scholars write it up in different ways. I've kind of put up five here, but some people say it's six, some people say it's seven. But this is the idea that uh, a stage model of grief is that we move through grief in stages. We begin in this place of denial, or some talk about it as shock, even before denial, right? That we might start there and then move into a place of anger as we start to get in touch with the loss. Going then into bargaining, like what can I, what can I do to kind of make sure this isn't happening? This is me in the shoe store, right? Maybe if I, maybe if I get some shoes, like this won't really be happening. I'll just feel fine. And then sometimes we move into a place of depression or sinking or a sadness as we start to feel the weight of the grief. And then finally, into a place of perhaps trying to test out what it might be like to accept a new reality that's come into our life and move to a place of acceptance. Now, this is a really common framework for talking about stages of grief, but scholars are actually starting to talk a little more now about something instead of this kind of linear path of grief, like that grief has, um, you know, a road that everybody kind of gets on and you have to walk, that instead there might be tasks of grief, that these are the things that we can move through as we grieve, but that not everybody does them in the same timing or in the same sequence, but instead that it looks like acceptance of the reality of loss. Because again, if we stay in a place of denial, if we deny that a loss has occurred, if we don't name a loss or become aware of it, then it's hard to move into a place of reality and acceptance. The second being to process the pain of the grief, to let those sensations exist and come and be felt and not be just suppressed and pushed down. Third, to adjust to a world without the thing that is lost or the person that is lost, to start to begin to reform and shift and create a life that is new and different. And then finally, to find connection with the past amidst a new life. Now this model of grief, the task model of grief, Again, it, it's saying that there's things that we need to do, but it, it misses something that I really feel I experienced in that shoe store that day, which is that there's not just something to do, but there's people and presence that we need with us as we move through these tasks. And that is because in grief, nothing stays put. Nothing is the way that it used to be. This is a, a quote from C.S. Lewis who has a beautiful book called A Grief Observed. And he says, with grief, it's like the whole world, everything that you knew gets reoriented. And so you're not quite sure what is solid and what has remained 
and what is new and shifting and different. It's kind of, it's kind of like this. Um, how many of you used your phone to, to navigate to get here this morning? Many of you may be very in the habits, you maybe didn't, but if you did, raise your hand if you use your phone to navigate this morning. I know I kind of got it out and I put in the address, make sure we're on the right path, kind of check and see are there any uh, obstacles or car crashes, you know, anything that I'm going to run into. And so I've got my path routed and I put it in GPS and it's set and I'm driving along. You guys have all experienced this before you're driving and all of a sudden you're just like beep beep and you're like, oh, wait, what's going on? And you have been rerouted, right? You look down and it's like, nope, you can't can't go that path anymore. There's an accident. 36 is a mess, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you out this way. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you are just a more peaceful person than I am, but when I get rerouted, I'm like, wait a minute. No, I don't, I don't want to go that way. I want to go up the 36. Sorry, I'm from California, so you heard the there. Yeah. I want to go up the 36. And I want to just, you know, I, I want to be on the freeway. I want to go fast. I want to go there quickly. And I want to get there when I expected that I would arrive. But grief reroutes our life. And the way that we were going and the way that we wanted to go is no longer available. And it's not up to us. It just happens. And so in grief, nothing stays put. Because loss reroutes our life. And grief is the acknowledgement that that, light, that loss is now led to a new path. The way we wanted to go, and it wasn't a problem, that you wanted to go a certain way. You wanted to be in a certain relationship. You wanted to have that person in your life. You wanted to be a part of that community. Those weren't bad desires. They were good desires. But now a new reality has come. And through grief, we are acknowledging that our will has not come to pass. And there is a deep, deep pain in that. So where do you go with your grief? Because I know, and I imagine you also know, that when we are in grief, it can bring up all kinds of questions for God. God, why? Why did you let that happen? God, if you are good, why did, why did this person die? God, if you are powerful, why did this circumstance happen? Couldn't you have intervened? Because grief has the power to grow up or blow up our faith. God wants to meet us in our grief, to find us there. But I know if you're like me, often what I want to do is to hide, to hide from God, to not bring it to God. 
and to not bring those honest questions. Because sometimes I falsely think that the powerful God of the universe might be offended by my questions or bothered by my restless heart. He's not. And he wants us to come and to bring our whole selves, all of our questions, all of our pain, so that he might meet us there and let us encounter his presence. And so when we are in grief, we ask ourselves this question, where can we go? And I want to give us one first step because sometimes, if we're honest, it does feel hard to go to God. And so if there's just a first step we need to take, I want to invite us to go to the Psalms. The Psalms are a book in the Bible that are essentially a bunch of prayers set to music in ancient times. And two-thirds of them were were written by this man named King David, who is said to be a man after God's own heart. And yet, here he is in these poems, pouring out his heart in lament. He's a man after God's own heart, not just going, God, you're wonderful. God, I trust you. I believe everything that you're doing is good. No, his songs are, God, I'm in a pit. I'm in a pit. I'm down here in a pit, and you aren't helping me. I'm down here. I am down below. Two-thirds of this book is just a lament before God saying, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? I'm pissed about it. I'm sad about it. And I don't know where to go. So we can go to the Psalms and we can be encountered by psalmists who are honest and forthright about what they're experiencing. In a beautiful book by Walter Brueggemann, called Praying the Psalms, he talks about how death and resurrection are the center of our faith. And so when we are in grief and we go to the Psalms, we see this pattern in the Psalms of death and resurrection. This rhythm of life that Christ has modeled for us. And we can see it in the honest prayers of the psalmist, where we see them talking about being in this place of of a pit sorrow, despair, and moving into something new. We can witness this happening in their life. And he talks about it in terms of three stages that we often see in the Psalms. We see a stage of orientation, or rather the orientation is, is kind of like the pre-stage, right? So this is like David was having a good time with the army and they're winning. Yay, things are going great. And then there's disorientation. Now Saul is trying to kill me. What the heck is happening? Why am I even doing this for you, God? Do you even care about me? And then we see often a third movement of reorientation. But maybe this is true, God. And maybe there's something here that I can hold on to. So I want to I take a moment and I want to read for you all Psalm 77. And I want you to watch for this pattern, for how we can process grief in scripture. I cry aloud to God, 
aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. This beautiful psalm gives us a template for really kind of seeing these layers of orientation, disorientation and reorientation. So I want to go back, if you don't mind bringing it back to the beginning of this, and we have this yellow line here where he admits, the psalmist admits, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Which is funny because we actually, we're like, wait, hang, hang on. You know, if we get in the, in the weeds, we're like, well, you are, you are actually speaking. <laughs> but what he's trying to say is, I don't know where to, I don't know where to go with this. Like, I've got to externalize this somehow, but I, it doesn't even, it doesn't even really feel possible. There is such a sense of disorientation and of loss that that kind of action doesn't even feel available. And as we look at verse 6, the psalmist says, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. So he's searching. He's saying, okay, I'm, I'm disoriented. What might be here? What kind of search might I make for something from God? Something of his presence. Something of his comfort. And the psalmist is saying, I'm going to stay put in this messy in-between. I'm disoriented, 
I don't know where I am. My life has been rerouted. And yet I'm going to stay put and I'm going to make a search about what might be here, what might come up. And then finally, he says, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. And the psalmist says, I don't know what is happening in my life. I'm disoriented. I'm unaware of how to move forward. And yet, I'm going to start with just a simple choice to hold on to some form of hope that God, you, I've seen you do it before and it might be possible again that you could work a wonder, that there might be something that could come from these ashes. And the psalmist chooses hope. And so when we are talking about where can we go with our grief, I hope that you can go to the Psalms and that from there it might feel safe to go to God. That you can see that others have been honest with God and unafraid and God has been able to handle it. And that God is not ashamed of David, a man after his own heart, for saying to him, I don't like this. I don't want this. What are you doing? And so we can come to God and we can name our loss before God. We can say, I am so troubled, I cannot speak. And then we can sit in the messy in-between and we can remember and make a diligent search and stay put in that place for however long we need to be there. And then finally, slowly, maybe after years, we can begin to let the old birth the new. To start to wonder if we can have hope that God really is the God of renewal and new life, who brings beauty from ashes, who restores the weak and gives hope to the hopeless. You are a God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. And then finally, I want to I want to say that we can also go to others because God has made us for community. And as I started, when I talked about that shoe store, there was something so moving about looking around the store and seeing other people sitting in their chairs, just like me, with a box, you know, 10 boxes around them, uncertain what they were going to do and what kind of choice they were going to make. We need other people 
community around us to compassionately witness our pain, to say to us, I've, I've been there too. I know grief too. And these people, they can be counselors. They can be, you know, professionals in this. If you don't feel comfortable starting there, you could start with someone who in your life has a mentoring role for you spiritually, right? Someone we might call a spiritual director, but really this is kind of a spiritual mentor or someone who you feel like you could go to for this, a pastor or church leader, or even in your community group. You can talk with friends or people and share your experience. And again, these steps sometimes need to be slow. You may not be ready to do that today or tomorrow or next week, but there may be a time when you feel ready. And I finally, I have friends on here, but I also want to put like a little asterisk by friends because I think we all know that not all friends hold grief in the same way, right? Perhaps you've had this experience before where you started to share something and then right away you're like, mm, let's just bring that back in. And you have this kind of like vulnerability hangover. You're like, okay, maybe not for you. Okay, never mind. Be discerning about where you need to start. And if a friend doesn't feel right, a stranger is good too. It can be anyone who feels like you could trust them and it's a safe place. And then you continue to discern as that relationship unfolds, right? You want to continue to make sure, okay, as I'm sharing more, is this, is this still feeling safe and like the right place? There are so many people who want to meet you in your grief, who want to walk with you, who are skilled in doing that. And so in many ways, you bringing grief to other people can be a gift and a, a moment of connection and and something that you can really share together. And then finally, I want to suggest that we can go on. The experience of loss does not have to be the defining moment in our lives. Instead, the defining moment can be our response to the loss. It's not what happens to us that matters so much as what happens in us. This author, who lost three generations of women in his family in one car accident, says this, I did not get over the loss of my loved ones, but rather I absorbed the loss into my life like soil receives decaying matter until it became a part of who I am. Friends, I know it's hard, but it is a reality that we can face because of our faith. That resurrect that <laughs> the resurrection it only comes through death. That new life is something we move into through loss. And Jesus said himself, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Lost, though not wanted, 
though it completely alters and changes our path, can be fertile ground for renewal and resurrection in our own lives. This is the cruciform way of Christ, this upside-down way that through loss and through death, we move into new places. We go with God from the pit to a place of walk. God, as we are here and we are gathered to talk about something so hard to hold in community, would you hold our hearts and help us to know that you are present and with us. That in grief, we can go to your word. We can go to you. And we can go to each other. God, make us fertile soil. and take the losses of our life and the paths we never wanted to walk and make them places that usher us into your presence and bring us into a spacious place of walking. God, whether we can trust you at all times to do that or whether we just need others to hold on to hope for us, Be with us as we travel the path of loss. Thank you. In your precious name. Amen.